Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. St. Louis, Missouri, it's Keys to Lost, a weekly podcast dedicated to the ABC television series Lost, hosted from a musician's perspective by keyboardists Matt Murdock and Leslie Sanazaro-Santi. And now, here's Matt and Leslie. And welcome to this special edition of Keys to Lost. This is a Giacchino Moments flashback episode where I've compiled several of our Giacchino moments into a single episode. All of these occurred while we were doing our character series during the hiatus, which included Jack, Kate. We then did a testing of Scotty Six's musical theory submitted by email, and then Sawyer, Ben, and Hugo. So I hope you enjoy these Giacchino moments, and in the meantime... Stay lost. The Giacchino Moment. In this week's Giacchino Moment, since we are exploring the character of Jack, it's time to look at several themes that have been used associated with Jack throughout the seasons. And I'm just going to touch a little bit on each and not go into a whole big in-depth theory breakdown on each of them like I normally do on a specific theme uh, as we go from episode to episode review. But I am going to explain them a little bit and I'm going to allow examples of each to be played and why I think they relate to Jack. So throughout the course of the series, the entire series, we've basically seen three pretty distinct motives that have been associated with Jack and a theme and also a couple of other little ideas. And I think I want to touch on one of those little ideas that have carried out in a couple of cases that are specific to plot and Jack. Now, I'm sure you might recall a theme that we talked about in Confidence Man that is associated with Jack. Uh, This is sometimes referred to as Jack's first motive. It's also sometimes referred to as the operation theme or as Jack does something controversial, which is what I choose to call it. This theme runs along a minor scale, the first four notes of a minor scale. Let me play a little bit of that theme for you right here. Okay, and so we've heard that theme when Jack was allowing Saeed to torture Sawyer. We've heard that theme when Jack was taking the bomb to the swan. And so it does represent things that Jack does controversial. We've also heard it applied to operations that Jack's doing, or the surgeon theme, or the operation theme as we call it, where he's operating on Ben, and also when he's operating on the girl with where he cuts the dural sack. And so... 
Another application to an operation where this theme was applied was when Juliet was actually operating on Jack uh, to remove his appendix. And the theme was changed slightly. It was preceded with a couple of notes ahead of the motive, and then the motive would be played, and then those couple of notes again, and then the motive would be played. Let me play a clip of that for you right here. Here we go. Try not to move. Just stay still. Spreader? Kate, I can't see it. Sorry. Don't worry about the mirror. Just stay still. Spreader? Oh, that's good. It's good. That's it. That's good. Knock him out, Bernard. No, no. Hey. No, I want to be unconscious. You don't want to be out of control. Kate. Kate, you need to leave. No. Bernard. Kate, Kate, you need Wait. to go. Bernard! No. Kate, get Kate. out of here! Bernard! Jack. Kate! Kate, get out of here! Damn it, Bernard! Knock him out! I'm sorry, Jack, but I agree. No. And so here we go. You hear that motive played distinctly, but it's varied slightly with the addition of the notes in front of it. And I think that's to represent Juliet doing the operation. Also, those notes are present because it is Jack who is insisting on staying awake during the operation, even though he is put unconscious eventually. It's controversial that Jack would want to try and stay awake during an appendix surgery. So it represents both the operation and the controversy all in one. And then the slight modification again, because it is Juliet who is performing the surgery. So, if we're going to associate this theme with it being something controversial, the question has to arise, well, what about the idea? Where does it come from to make it controversial? And Giacchino has addressed this as well. There is a simple six-note motive that Giacchino uses often when he is giving Jack an idea, or when his idea is being followed through as well. And this six-note motive consists of root, second, third, root, second, fifth. Let me play it for you on the piano. In the key of C, we would be playing the notes C, D, E, C, D, G. Okay, so now that you know what that motive sounds like, here is the clip where Jack explains to Kate that they don't need to bring the water to the people. They need to bring the people to the water. And you'll hear that six-note motive played prominently. Adam and Eve, they must have lived here. Their plane crashed, or maybe they were shipwrecked. They probably found this place and knew they could survive here. Unlimited supply of fresh water tree canopy keeps the temperature down shields out the sun the openings are narrow easier for protection against predators we don't need to bring the water to the people we need to bring the people to the water
And now let's move on to another instance where this theme is used. It's actually in the incident. And I use this clip in Jack's controversy theme from Confidence Man. But if you go further into the clip where Jack is being shot at by the Dharma Initiative, and then suddenly Sawyer, Kate, and gang come in and save the day and start shooting back, you'll hear the idea theme, this six-note motive played, and it cycles through several keys in a rising sense, but you will definitely hear it. You'll be able to identify it, and that shows that they are getting behind Jack's idea. And here's the clip. So now let's explore a second theme of Jack's or a second motif of Jack's. And this is often referred to as Jack's second motif, at least by Lostpedia. It is a four-note motif that goes from, if you were, say, in the key of C, C to D-flat, back to C to E-flat. Just those four notes repeated over and over and over again. That motive, again, represents kind of a darker side of Jack, but also a strong side of Jack as well. Let me play that for you on the piano. And so now that you know what that sounds like, let's listen to it from the official soundtrack, where the motive is actually only played once or twice. This is a very short clip called A Fallen Hero from the Season 3 official soundtrack. And now I'm going to play a clip for you that includes this motive. It's repeated many times in this. This is where Jack is accusing Christian basically of having an affair with his wife. He sees Christian getting a call while he's treating a patient. And he follows Christian to a hotel where he thinks that Christian is going to be meeting up with Sarah. But in fact finds Christian in a meeting, I think an AA meeting perhaps. You will also hear the Jack controversy theme being represented first in pizzicato strings and then by bowed strings underneath this melody as kind of a counterpoint. And that represents that what Jack is doing is somewhat controversial. He's following his father without his father's knowledge. So here's the clip. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dr. Shepard. And finally, I want to explore a theme that is referred to as Jack's theme, and it's represented in Acha, Glad to See Me, in the official soundtrack of Season 3. It's a strong but sad theme, and all of these other motives and everything, and many of Jack's motives are often minor, and the dark side of Jack, this is more the tormented yet strong side of Jack, kind of in the same vein that Saeed's theme is tormented and sad yet strong and very resolute. Jack's theme is the same, and every time Jack does something stupid or crazy or reactionary, G. Kino kind of uses this theme later on when Jack is exploring the emotional impact of things, of his decisions, some of them being bad. It makes us sympathetic to Jack again. First, let's listen to the official soundtrack, Achira, Glad to See Me. Finally, I'd like to end the Gikino moment this week from A Tale of Two Cities during the flashback with Sarah. And these scenes really made me sympathetic to Jack again and made me feel for him and made me worry for him because he seemed to be broken by the others to that point. It's very sad and emotional. And these scenes were well acted, but even more so, Gikino's score really added the emotion to the scenes. So... Enjoy these clips, and that's the Giacchino moment for the week. Hi, 
that you, uh... Your dad told me you were here. I called you a cab. So, um, goodbye. Him? What difference does it make? It just does. It's not going to change Look, I want to know. I need to know who he is. It doesn't matter who he is. It just matters who you're not. Judge, your father called me to help you. He was so drunk, I could hardly understand him. Look at the bright side. Now you have something to fix. What would you like to find out? Is she... Is she happy? Yes, Jack. She's very happy. I'd like to bring you some food and water, but this time I need to know that you'll behave. Can I trust you, Jack? Put your back against the wall. The Giacchino Moment. In this Giacchino moment, we're, of course, exploring themes associated with Kate. It's interesting to note that the Kate character-centric episodes generally have more cuts added by the music supervisor from other artists than any other character-centric episodes. And we'll look at a couple of those themes as well, but one Giacchino theme that I think is probably most associated with Kate is from the opening sequence of Born to Run. It's titled on the official soundtrack as Kate's Motel. Let's go ahead and listen to part of that cut right now, and I'm sure you're going to recognize it and probably associate it with Kate.
Excellent. Now, there are a couple of things very interesting to me about this theme. First off, it's contrapuntal, meaning that two or more different melodic devices are used in tandem in order to generate the entire piece. This methodology is used by Mr. G. Kino a lot, especially when an already established theme is used again in the series. He will often take the theme that we recognize as like Ben's theme or Jack's theme or whatever, and then he adds a counterpoint underneath or over the top, a kind of secondary melody in order to create a variation on that theme in order to tailor that theme to both the character and the situation that the character is in in that particular episode or that particular scene. There's a difference here, though, and that's what's notable about it to me. The difference here is that both motifs are somewhat interdependent upon each other to create a singular musical idea. We've seen counterpoints run under many of our characters' themes before, like I said, but it's rare that Mr. Giacchino uses two distinct counterpoints and then combines them to create a single theme or to represent a single character. And, just as I stated, both motifs are interdependent. In other words, they need each other in order to establish the mood of the piece. Let me explain what I mean by analyzing the two motives separately. First, let's take that first string line that you hear at the beginning of the piece. I'll play it here on the piano for you. Okay, so the notes are E, F, E, F, D, E, C, D. And we get a sense that this is the key of F because the F notes are played with an accent, and the sequence of notes run along the F scale. But here's where the other part of the melody seems to become important to this part. There are, in fact, two different F scales that have this set of notes in it. There is the F major scale, which, as you hear here, when played in front of the theme, makes it sound somewhat happy. And then there is the F melodic minor scale. And here, when you play that scale in front of that sequence of notes, then when you hear the sequence of notes, it gives it a more sad or even brooding or maybe even calculating kind of sound to it or feel to it. This is what Giacchino uses, but depending on what the second melody is, you can see we could get two very different moods. With the A natural, you get that happy implication. With the A flat, you get that sad or brooding, perhaps, or even calculating kind of feel. Let me play the second part for you where it becomes more clearly defined by G. Kino as to the effect he's looking for. Now it becomes much more clear to see that Giacchino is using the melodic minor scale for the statement of this overall theme for Kate. But the beauty remains that he can still take either part, either the running line or the minor statement motive that I just played here, and apply them together, which creates that melodic minor sound, or separate to differing situations that he needs to make Kate's presence felt. And because he has two motives to work with, he doesn't necessarily have to commit to one or the other when applying the overall theme or its components. 
and not having to commit sounds an awful lot like Kate to me. Let's look at two examples of that where he has actually split those two parts up of the central theme of Kate and he's used one in one situation and another in another situation. Both of these scenes are from what Kate did. And in one of the scenes, you'll hear the running line. And in one of the scenes, you'll hear that minor statement. And it's very interesting how he applies them. So let's listen to the first scene. This is when Kate comes in to Diane's diner and gives her the insurance policy. And Diane asks what she did. And this will be the running melody line. What did you do? Does Wayne know about this? Just remember that you were here and you didn't see me, okay? Catherine, what did you do? I took care of you, Mom. I gotta go. You're not gonna see me for a while. So we still get that minor context because of the harmony that G. Kino has placed underneath it, which I will talk about here in a second. Let's move on to the next scene that I'm going to use from what Kate did as an example. And this one is where that main central melody is played without the running line accompanying it. This is when Kate kisses Jack for the first time in the jungle. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Great. Now, in an overall episode-encompassing aspect, did you notice that both themes were harmonized underneath with the same chords? Here they are on the piano. It's an F minor and a C augmented chord. Let me play them for you here on the piano. I'm sure you'll recognize them. Now, by using the same harmonizing chords, Gikino adds an extra layer of tying everything together within the episode and within the character of Kate. He's now added a third link 
that ties the two separate melodies into one central theme, yet at the same time he's still able to freely use them independently of each other however he feels. Again, it's that sense of non-commitment, at least from a composer's standpoint, which I think represents Kate very well. It's also fascinating that with the running line, that those chords give a sense of urgency to the running line. Whereas when Kate's kissing Jack and the minor melody statement is played, it almost gives a sense of eroticism to that statement of the minor melody. So the same chords all tied in together, and it makes for one character with many different facets and aspects out of one central contrapuntal melody and one central harmonic scheme. It's very complex, which is what Kate is in actuality, which I think is what makes her such an annoying character to so many people, is the fact that her character is extremely complex, and G. Kino's developed a musical method of demonstrating that on many different levels and layers, and that's just a fascinating way to do it, in my opinion. And I'm going to end the G. Kino moment here, this part of it, and I'm going to turn it to a conversation with Leslie where we can talk about some of the songs that have been used in the show during Kate-centric episodes. Songs like Walking After Midnight, If You Have Leaving On Your Mind, both by Patsy Cline, and Slowly by Anne Margaret. And as we continue the G. Kino moment, I'm back here with Leslie, and we're going to talk about some of the songs that have been in Kate-centric episodes. Uh, Kate has had episodes that have more music from other artists put in them than any other character, I think. And I think a lot of them have uh, situational aspects to them. The lyrics represent uh, one of Kate's actions in the episode or the situation that she's in. And uh, I thought I'd talk to Leslie about that because she's much more of the songwriter than I am in that <laughs> in terms of that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of more of the interlo- instrumentalist or analyzer of things, I think, sometimes. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about some of the musical choices that the music editors and supervisors have made in regards to Kate. First of all, we can always say that when using commercial music in, in a television show, sometimes it, it boils down simply to negotiation with the artist. True. Um, so sometimes the, 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 the most magical choice isn't the choice that you get to, you get to make <laughs> in terms of, of putting a, a somebody else's song in, in one of your TV shows. So we both we both know this, um, but there have been some appropriate choices that have made, been made for Kate Sepps, in in my opinion. If you've got "Leaving on Your Mind" by Patsy Cline, and that's of course from Tabula Rasa, when when Ray is is taking her to the train station when she says that she's leaving, and of course he's already called in Edward Mars, and um, I th- I think the title is appropriate. Uh, for that very reason, I mean, she's she's leaving to 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 go on to something else because that's her way, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and it just happens to be playing on the radio in the truck. Uh-huh. They have a neat little talk about Patsy Cline and whether Patsy Cline's popular in Canada. And she says, who hasn't heard of Patsy Cline? Um, Leslie, what are your thoughts about that song in, in particular with that episode? Well, um, I think I think that's ex- I mean I, I agree with everything that you're saying about the song title being really appropriate to 
to um, Kate's character. Um, she is always leaving. She is always up and going. Um, but I think I think even beyond that, you know, the the Patsy Cline vibe really goes well with Kate because not only does it, you know, like do the lyrics um, um, specifically say something about Kate, but the the style of music really paints a picture of a particular setting that she comes from. You know, when we hear Patsy Cline, there's a certain feeling that you get, and it's a little bit country, it's a little bit twangy, it's a little bit, you know, th- this is this is the kind of background that Kate has. She didn't grow up in the city; she grew up in the country with like you know small town kind of kind of friends and environment, and and you know her 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 story is kind of a sad country song on some level, you know, so it's really pretty fitting. She's, you know, she she does always have leaving on her mind, and she is always on her way out the door. And and um, I'm even even beyond that. Um, I mean, um, not to to read too deeply into it because I I really think that's probably about about what the um about all that the musical supervisor probably had in mind by using um by using these songs. But um, I will say too that you know Patsy Cline was a pretty she was a pretty strong woman in her own right. I mean, she was one of the Kind of one of the, the 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 first like really really popular female artists in the Nashville country music scene during that time. There weren't a lot of other really prominent female um, performers coming out of that town that were writing music and and performing it and touring it. You know, and she had a husband and kids, and she I mean she did it all. She did everything. Uh, yeah. Um. So um, there's a lot of strength in it, but mostly I think it I think it paints the picture that we put Kate in. You know, just like just like the 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 music of Giacchino's creating an environment, I think we get the same kind of feeling. Um, and and I think we can all. Th- th- this is this is this is also a good example of how people can really readily relate to Kate because beyond having any kind of musical background or being able to even notice how they're being influenced by the beauty of Giacchino's moments in 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 his compositions when he's writing for a scene, people are already familiar with this song. They have their own associations with it already. Um, and that's a different kind of feeling. Right Yeah, I, I was going to also make a note that this and another song that we're going to talk about here in a minute, Slowly, by Anne Margaret, uh, they both are kind of classified as that country western, and I was going to ask mm-hmm. you if you thought that that had to do with it. They were trying to imply her, her roots in Iowa. Yeah. And, yeah, I yeah, think you're, I think I think you're totally so, right. You? Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Slowly by Anne Margaret, that is, of course, featured in the episode I Do, actually in season three. Uh, and the hook there is, tell me you love me again, but this time slowly, because you're moving too fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of appropriate that even even in that first scene, Kevin says, hey, I know we're, we're, we're jumping into this very fast, but it feels right and all of this. And isn't mm-hmm. to me, that's almost kind of an aspect of, of Kate's whole personality, too. As we just talked about in season two uh, with her kiss with Jack, how, you know, it seems like she takes down a little piece of the wall and then all of a sudden busts through it and, 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 and leaps into someone's arms. And then, you know, maybe overstepping the bounds, you know, there there's, seems to be no middle ground for Kate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a quick acceleration to, to one extreme and then a quick deceleration back within the wall. And... Uh, I think that that song kind of lyrically demonstrates that very well, as, as as well as being appropriate for her fast marriage to Kevin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I I, I know we're not 
talking about the Beatles right now, but I, I had uh, the thought when you were saying that, that, you know, there's that Beatles lyric about, you know, no one ever told you how to unfold your love. I think that's a really good example of what Kate's like because she's, you know, there isn't any middle ground with her, you know. She's either got a nice, nice, strong, thick wall built all around her or she's got a sledgehammer and it's just dusty, you know. Yeah. And 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 um, I think that, that that was another really, really good choice. It's also really kind of a, like, sexy kind of sultry sound to it, too. It's got that edge, that, that song, Slowly. Yeah. Um, and, you know... And Kate definitely works that angle too, so um, it was it was appropriate in that way as well. I thought. Excellent, great, and that's going to conclude this week's Giacchino moment. All right, here's the Giacchino moment. The Giacchino moment. In this week's Giacchino Moment, I'm exploring a theory about the music of Lost submitted to me by Scotty Six. Let me read the email that I got from him. Anyway, I've been re-watching and doing a lot of soundtrack listening and trying to put some weight behind what Giacchino is doing. While I am sure it is likely not related at all to plot points, mythology, or theory, it would be fun to think that it might be. This is the first email in which might be a series as I dig into some key moments and try to apply this thought process. I started thinking about what Giacchino's personality is as a composer. He loves small, repeated thematic phrases. This is evident not only in Lost, but also in his film work, like The Family Stone, The Incredibles, etc. Think about Lost themes and how small they are. Life and Death, Three Notes, Two Measures. Oceanic Six, essentially just variations on a descending four-note scale. Ben's theme, five notes. I then started thinking about what the characteristics of his melodic phrases are, and they started reminding me of another composer. Giacchino often uses descending or ascending melodies or circles around a tone, often the tonic. The playing of a single tone is almost a theme into itself in Lost Scores. More on that later. The other composer whose melodies are built in similar fashion is Richard Rogers. I got to thinking how Rogers' melodies were used thematically in his shows. Whenever things were resolved and made right in the story, he would often end phrases by ascending to the tonic. Think of the end of the melody of My Romance or What's the Use of Wondering from Carousel. When he circles a tonic, it often means things are left in not quite a good situation. He also tends to repeat small phrases in transposition. Do re mi is the best example, for obvious reasons. So how does Giacchino utilize these techniques? Obviously he has his own language, so there aren't exact parallels. However, I think I have come up with some good ground rules he uses that may, but probably not, give us clues as to some plot and theory points on the show. Point one, a held tonic tone equals a good event or some kind of resolution. Point two, a repeated tonic tone, an unsettled event or crisis. Point three, ascension resolutions equal unrest. Point four, repetition of phrases equal travel or journey or changes. Point five, descending resolutions, peace and happiness. 
Okay, so let's just take one scene and see if we can glean anything from the music. Jack and Kate threw out the flash-forward portions of Something Nice Back Home. While their theme becomes more unsettled as their relationship devolves due to Jack's insecurities, drug abuse, and the little matter of seeing his dead father, G. Kino consistently resolves it downward to the held tonic. Could this portend that their relationship is right and that they will live happily ever after, for want of a better term? I obviously have a lot of work ahead of me on this front, and Lord knows if I'll ever get to it, but throughout the rewatch, this has been itching at me. Scotty Six. All right. Well, that's a great idea, Scotty Six. Let's kind of test it out. I'm just going to take the last clip from Jack and Kate flash forward scene from Something Nice Back Home. And we are going to hear what is actually Jack's theme. Uh, we've heard this before as far back as Tale of Two Cities when he's asking about Sarah which I included, I think, in my G. Kino moment when we did our character study of Jack. So the theme does naturally resolve downward. And I think that it's probably not so much an indication that Jack and Kate are going to be okay, but more of an indication that despite all of the trouble and everything, that Jack is going to be okay in the end if we're to follow your guidelines here. That would be what it would indicate to me if G. Kino is, in fact, implying these rules. But let's go ahead and listen to the clip. I never So we did get a downward resolution, and at the very end, we got a single tonic tone, which is just like your point one, which I think, again, does clearly indicate, if we're to follow your guidelines here, it would indicate that Jack is going to be okay, which is fantastic. Great job. Okay, so now let's look at another point of Scotty's. That's his point two, where a repeated tonic means a situation of unrest. And I found an example of that that perfectly demonstrates that guideline. This is from what Kate did 
It's the opening sequence, actually, when Sun and Jin come out of the tent. Things are peaceful between them. But then they look over and they see Saeed digging Shannon's grave. And you get the repeated tonics over and over again. And then it goes to the hatch where Jack is treating Sawyer. I've managed to filter out the vocals so you won't hear any vocals. You'll just hear the music. But you will hear the repeated tonic. You'll hear the single note, dun-dun-dun-dun, over and over again, which is exactly when they're showing Saeed digging the grave, which is a feeling of unrest, a feeling of non-resolution. So let's listen to that clip. you go you get that repeated tonic at the end which definitely does generate a feeling of unrest so great point scotty i know i didn't get to all of them in order to prove all your points but i think that you're on a pretty good roll here with your with your thoughts about the way g Kino uses certain particular kinds of ideas and motives or even the way he applies harmony in order to convey certain feelings so excellent job scotty and that's the G Kino moment for this week. The G Kino moment. In this week's G Kino moment, I thought we'd explore a theme actually that we've only heard in season five, but it has applied to Sawyer. It's a new theme. Lostpedia right now is calling it Sawyer's Love Theme, which is probably pretty appropriate because when we hear this theme, it is being played generally when Sawyer is experiencing feelings for someone, uh, particularly Kate or Juliet. In terms of a motif, the theme itself is relatively simple, a little more complex than some of Giacchino's other melodies. We've heard simple little three-note themes uh, pertain to characters. In this case, there's a, there's a nice four-major phrase here that is stated as the theme for Sawyer. Let me play that for you on the piano right now, and then we'll discuss it. So there's a couple of things about this theme that I think need to be noticed. And first is that there is symmetry to the theme, to the two basic parts of the theme. There's the part where it starts to go up and then it comes back down. And each time that the melody comes back down, first in the lower register and then in the higher register, there is a sense of the same intervals. 
even though they start from different notes, the same intervals happen. Uh, in this case, in the lower part of the theme, when it walks down from the F to the E to the C, that is the interval of F to E is a half step, and E down to C is a major third. The same thing occurs in the second half of the theme when he climbs up to the C and he starts. He goes down a half step to the B and then down a major third to the G. So with this kind of occurrence and symmetry, you get this steady feeling, a sense that Sawyer's love is steady and patient. And it's a new side of Sawyer that we hadn't seen until season five. The second part of the melody that I think is important to note is that those same descending phrases are also what we call syncopated. And what that means is that the emphasis of the notes or the way the notes are accented is placed off the beats that you would normally think you would feel them. For instance, a syncopated beat is often associated with jazz because there's a lot of playing on what we call the upbeats. If I'm counting up with a metronome and I count one, two, three, four, then you feel those as beats. But syncopated would be like one and two and three and four and. So where the downbeat falls, which is where like the one, two, three, four falls, then the upbeat is the syncopated beat. And you hear this, uh, how the note E is held in the first set on the lower set when it goes from the F to the E. It's held on beat two, which is if you were counting one and three, two would be syncopated to one and three. And it's held over the three beat, and then the fourth beat is emphasized. So that creates a syncopation in itself. In the second part, there is a repetition of the note B, which also creates a syncopation by the way that the note is accented. So what this says to me is that Sawyer's love is sometimes misplaced. It's out of sync with what's going on around him. He has these feelings for Kate, and she is obviously torn between her own issues and between him and Jack. And so his love is placed at the wrong time, so to speak, and it creates that syncopated thing. Same way with Juliet. They never should have been together uh, by all accounts. However, they end up in this position together. And then it comes to Juliet having to say goodbye because their timing was just bad. And again, that to me relates the syncopation of the beat. So I think Giacchino probably actually composed this with Kate more in mind than Juliet. But as the story worked out, it was able to be applied, this kind of thinking, to both. And so he didn't need two separate themes for Sawyer's love for Juliet and Sawyer's love for Kate. Instead, he just placed how Sawyer's love seems to be out of sync, no matter where he places it, which is kind of heartbreaking. There's another aspect to this theme, and that is the simplicity of its harmony which again, I think, goes back to Sawyer's simplistic ideas and, and the fact that to him things are one way or another. They're pretty much black and white, even though 
he sometimes lives in the gray area himself. He sees the black and white. And so the only implication of harmony that we have here is what we call the one chord or the tonic chord or the four chord, the subdominant, or the five chord, the dominant chord. This is the most basic of harmonization, the tonic, the subdominant, and the dominant. Let me just play the chords for you here. The tonic chord, the dominant chord, the subdominant chord, the dominant chord. And you really don't need any more than that in terms of harmony in order to create a strong sense of emotion. Let me play the melody and the chords together, and I'm sure you're going to recognize this once it's all together. for a, a, a beautiful theme and, a, and I think it's a real tribute to the way they've developed Sawyer's character as well as writers and G. Kino's done a pretty good tribute to it with this really nice theme that demonstrates Sawyer's love. Here are two scenes as we close out the G. Kino moment that have this theme in it. One is with Kate. Uh, when she is delivering Claire's baby in The Little Prince, and Sawyer is witnessing that as they're flashing through time. You'll hear the theme there. And then the second one is with Juliet, and that is from Lafleur when he's talking her into not getting on the sub, and then it cuts to three years later when he's bringing her the flower. We're not alone in this. We are all here for you, this baby. It's all of us. But I need you to push. Okay? Okay. One, two, three. Push! Push! Come on, Claire, push! scientists and Mr. I speak to dead people and Jen who's a hell of a nice guy but not exactly the greatest conversationalist you'll be fine maybe I'm just gonna get my back <laughs> come on just give me two weeks that's all I'm asking two weeks 
smells good. Hey there. That's the Giacchino moment for this week. And can I just add, Leslie, that, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we did the uh, testing of Scotty's music theory in terms of repetitive and, and held out tonic notes in terms of resolution or unrest. And you noticed at the end of that last clip, there was that repetitive tonic happening underneath it, which really kind of foreshadowed the fact that Juliet and Sawyer's relationship wasn't going to work. So Scotty's theory is still holding up. Wow, nice job, everybody. <laughs> the Giacchino Moment. In this week's Giacchino moment, of course, since we're exploring Ben, I thought I'd take a re-examination of Ben's theme, most commonly known as Dharma Side from the Season 3 official soundtrack. You can hear the theme prominently there. That's one version of the theme that Giacchino has penned. What's most interesting about Ben's theme is the way it can be conveyed in so many ways, simply by the use of harmonization or orchestration. Often when we hear Ben's theme played with brass against a static tonic, meaning that the theme itself is played against a single note or a repeating note that is the same, we get that sense of the conniving or the strategic or the almost evil, I guess, side of Ben. And then there is the theme like Dharma side where it is presented with a beautiful harmony and the orchestration of like piano and strings can make the theme much more childlike or seeking or regretful or sad. And I thought you might want to just take a look at the theme first. The theme itself in terms of the melody is highly chromatic. What I mean by that is that it moves in very small intervals, or half-steps, actually, is chromatic. The first part of the melody, which is here, 
you can hear it, it goes down one half step. Then it approaches back to that same tonic by half steps from above. And all of that is chromatic, what we call chromatic movement. Now, interestingly enough, the theme does change in terms of its steps or intervals. This is one of the themes that G. Kino kind of through composed. And what I mean by that is it doesn't really use motives. The entire melody is a single motive. It's a meandering, ambiguous kind of melody, which really suits Ben to a T because we catch him lying to us all the time, yet we still feel something for him. And Chiquino's motion of melody actually helps drive that home for us, I believe. Now, I just played the first part of that melody to you. There is a rhythmic motive which is similar, which kind of ties it all together. But listen to this second part. Now, here the jumps are a lot bigger. There's a whole step, and then there's a jump up above, and then a jump back down. And this kind of opens everything up. And it actually, what it does for us psychologically is the chromaticism makes us fear been a bit, or in the case of this orchestration from Dharma's side, it makes us feel his fear. And then when the melody opens up, you have this sense of longing, this sense of need, which I think makes us more empathetic to Ben. Chikino's really done a marvelous job with this whole melody and the way he has applied harmony and the way he's applied orchestration to it, because it can generate so many feels. Because it is ambiguous, it allows him to mold an emotion for us out of the way he orchestrates it and out of the way that he presents it harmonically. For instance, let's listen to a little bit of Dharmicide here, and you'll hear the sadness. After that, I'm going to play a clip from Season 4 where he turns the wheel and you're going to feel a sense of heroism almost. A little bit of sadness for Ben because he's sad to leave the island. But then you'll also, the fact that he's turning the wheel, the way it's orchestrated with the brass but yet still has the sweet harmony underneath it, gives you a sense of heroism. And finally, I'll play for you the just a small snip from the incident where Ben actually stabs Jacob. And you'll hear that melody against one static note which is what makes the chromaticism come out and makes you feel fear. And you get the sense of that child lashing out, but in a very strong emotional way and in a very violent way. So, hope you enjoyed this week's Giacchino moment. Here are the three clips.
the G Kino moment. Phone number. No, it's nothing. It's just something that I. Uh... The numbers are cursed. You know there is no such thing as. And of course, we do know that moment quite well. That's from the episode numbers, and we know that theme too. That's the theme that's kind of represents the numbers, at least as they pertain to Hugo, and it's also one of Hugo's main themes. That scene comes from when Hugo, of course, is with his accountant. And there's some things to note about the theme itself. First of all, the melody is only four notes. But there's some distinctness to that melody. And that is the first interval. And what I mean by interval is the distance between the two notes. The distance between the first note and the second note of the melody is what we call a tritone. Now, in Western music, there are 12 tones in our scale, a chromatic scale. And that consists of all of the notes within a single octave on any given instrument. What a tritone is, is exactly half the distance between a note and what would be its octave. So it's six half steps apart, as we call it. An example of this would be from C to F sharp or F-sharp to C, or E-flat to A. Those are both intervals of what we call a tritone. Now, the interval of a tritone tends to bring out a feeling of uneasiness. It can also bring out a feeling of comedy, and it's used in both cases here by G. Kino. We get that uneasiness about the mystery of the numbers, but at the same time, with the way the events are being played on the screen... The tritone also takes somewhat of a humorous tone to it. This is common in many forms of music. Uh, a lot of over-the-top comedies tend to use tritone-type melodies in their soundtracks. Let me play the theme, the four-note melody, for you on the piano and listen to the first two notes, the distance between them, how they don't seem to really fit together. That's the uneasy feeling. And then Giacchino will use the way he accompanies to help accentuate the comedic feeling. But first, let's just play the melody on the piano. Okay, so did you hear the difference between the first two notes, how they don't really seem to fit together too well? I mean, they work, but it's still it's just kind of a little unsettled. Tritones are one of the big dissonances in Western music because tritone typically doesn't incorporate into any type of scale that we're used to to create harmony. Now, the way G. Kino applies comedic principles to this melody is in his accompaniment and or the orchestration of that accompaniment. Oftentimes, with this melody, we get a staccato kind of accompaniment going along the chords, either in pizzicato strings or in some instrument that is 
emulating or is actually plucking strings to make them short, kind of a little sneaky, kind of a little playful, and that's what gives it that comedic feel. There's another thing that Giacchino does, and that is he'll sometimes use glissando, which is another great comedic use of music by a lot of composers. Glissando is when you start on one note and you literally slide up to another note, and you cover all of those little half steps and everything else in between. In this next example, when we have Hugo taking his mom to her new house, you'll hear the glissando present underlying as part of the melody as well, which creates some of that comedic value. So let's listen to this clip from Numbers. Oh, crap. Hang on, Ma. I got to call 911. Yes, that's him. I broke my ankle. <laughs> Drop the phone. Move away from what? the vehicle. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the house. It's, it's the Do thing. it now. Turn around. No such thing as curses, huh, Ma? You have the right to remain silent. If you give up that right, anything you say can and will be used against you. Okay, great. So I think that kind of demonstrates how that theme works. I'm going to play for you now a full realization of that theme, and this is from the Season 2 soundtrack called World's Worst Landscaping. love the orchestration, the way he uses the piano and everything in that. There are two other themes that are identified principally with Hurley, and I'm not going to explore them, I'm not going to break them down, but I do want to play them for you just so you know that these themes often go with Hurley. These two examples are both, again, from the Season 2 soundtrack. The first one is called Mess It All Up, which is more of Hurley's tragic side. It's the way he blames himself for many things, which he really shouldn't, but he does anyway. And the second one is one of my favorite Giacchino themes. It's very simple melody, but it's beautifully orchestrated. And that is in Hurley's Handouts, which is an absolutely fantastic piece when Hugo distributes the food from the hatch to everybody. 
So I hope you enjoy these clips, and that's the Giacchino moment for this week.
Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.